Hello. Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Glocal Podcast. Brought to you by Kwansei Gakuin University. Tokyo Marunouchi Campus. Our podcast is about people and events from around the world. With your host, Tamago. And Kangaku Taro. How are you guys? Fine. How are you? Good. Good. So Fine. we have uh, myself, Taro, my co host, Tamago, in Tokyo. We have Alicia, who's actually joining us uh, from Spain, but who's uh, Danish and American and lives in Denmark normally. And we have Michael and Lisbeth. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes. Perfect. Okay. And you are in uh, Copenhagen or? Uh, nearby. It's called. Okay. It's, 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 uh, it's not possible for foreigners to say that. So just say Copenhagen. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, uh, yeah. at least not, not on air. Uh, all right, shall we start? Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to start with uh, Michael and Lisbeth because uh, I started this with, uh, with your article in Granta, which actually we will provide a link to in the, in the description of the episode. So maybe recap a little bit how you got involved. So this is obviously we're discussing the issue of refugees in Denmark. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, at the time when the refugees went to Denmark, uh, a huge amount of refugees, they were coming by trains, by ferry, um, by cars. And uh, at that time, I, I was known as the former uh, children's ombudsman or the former uh, head of uh, the children's council. So I was known as a... a debater and uh, uh, an activist. Um, so I was uh, at that time doing a presentation in the south of uh, Denmark, uh, just where a lot of uh, the refugees from Syria uh, arrived by uh, ferry. Uh, and uh, when my presentation was uh, over, I, I drove around in my car. At that time, I had we had a car with uh, uh, six uh, passenger seats. Like a station uh, wagon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, um, um, when, uh, when the presentation was done, I drew around and then I saw all those, the, those huge amount of, amounts of uh, refugees. And I think we have never experienced that in Denmark. Well, maybe under third, uh, World War II, uh, two, but... Sure. but the Second World War, but but I've never seen that, and Lisbeth, nobody else. Had. Yeah. So, what year was that, Lisbeth? Uh, two thousand and fifteen. Okay, so about six and, years ago. Yeah, and um, there were families uh, with uh, small children, with babies, and um, the Danish uh, authorities uh, stopped. The possibility to take the um, um, to use the the normal transportation methods, uh, train, public transportation, yeah, yeah, the public uh, transportation. So uh, actually, the only way getting through Denmark, a lot of them were going to Sweden. Uh, they didn't want to stay in Denmark. We can talk about that later, but um, why they didn't want that, but um, but. Uh, they were intended to uh, walk through Denmark, uh, and then you know, I called Michael. He called the police uh, to find out if it was possible for me 
to transport some of them. And we couldn't get a, an answer for, from the authorities. Yeah. And then Michael said, well, just just take them. I'll, I'll um, give them coffee when they arrive. So I... So you, I, took, you took some of them to your home, correct? Yeah, to the family with the yeah. two small children. And they had no luggage at all. Right. They were right. only themselves and the clothes they uh, were wearing. Yeah, um, and and some uh, toys that people in in the city where the ferry is uh, arriving, uh, it was actually quite amazing. Every people, uh, everyone from the houses, the apartments in that small city went out with uh, water bottles, with the toys to the children, with uh, clothes, and so they were giving them things when they were walking. Uh, so well, quite nice and amazing to to experience that. So the small children, the two girls, the twins, uh, at five, I think, uh, had this toy and nothing else. Yeah. And so you you hosted the family, the Syrian family, and yeah, then for, for about an hour, <laughs> they Michael uh, he uh, offered them. Coffee and cinnamon, cinnamon, <laughs> cinnamon rolls, cinnamon rolls, yeah. coffee, yeah. cinnamon rolls, and sodas for the children. And then and they used the bathroom and 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 uh, we asked them if they uh, wanted to to uh, sleep in, in in some of our beds and and have a meal, but they just wanted to push on. They had some family in uh, in Bowl in, in Sweden. Sweden. In Sweden. And, and so they asked, you know, uh, if I could guide them to the nearest train station. And uh, and I said, uh, yeah, but I can also take you to the last train station in Denmark and you can get on board there and go to the last, you know, half hour to, to Helsingborg on the Swedish side. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, they were very frightened, very quiet in the car all the way because they were afraid that they would be stuck in Denmark and not get on the train. Uh, actually, to, to Sweden, actually. Uh, so I bought them some train tickets at the station and uh, waved uh, goodbye mm-hmm. and um, and asked them to give uh, you know uh, a call when when just to to know that they were they arrived safely and and they did. And the money for the train tickets? Yeah, I paid that. Right, but they offered to pay you back, right? Yes. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about why uh, why they didn't want to stay in Denmark. Um, At the time, um, the public agenda was very hostile towards uh, the refugees. Uh, the authorities were quite passive. The police did not really know what to do. They couldn't answer me if it was uh, legal to 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 offer these uh, yeah. people a lift or not. And, uh, and the the government uh, really was was very passive at the moment. But there had been a lot of uh, signals that that Denmark did not want to 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 have any refugees. And uh, yeah, they were posting uh, uh, ads in um, in newspapers, in uh, Arabic uh, newspapers about yeah. 
uh, how harsh it is to be a refugee in Denmark. Yeah, so yeah, they were you scaring be them. You should not come here. So these, these 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 Arabic newspapers in Syria or Lebanon or like in the Middle uh, East? Or? Yeah, um, I don't remember exactly yeah. what newspapers, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the Danish um, uh, foreign and uh, refugee minister at the time, Inger Stoiber. Alicia, I know, I, I'm sure you you know uh, her, and maybe you can later talk about a bit about what it was. But she posted, and it was a, a huge thing in Denmark. People were so um, um, shocked that yeah. uh, a foreign minister posted ads in those uh, newspapers to scare. Yeah. Refugees, yeah, oh, so out of and she succeeded. I mean, yeah. they were scared, yeah, yeah. They just and so, to get to Sweden because the Swedish prime minister at the time said, like Angela Merkel, mm. uh, you know, everybody's welcome here, so just come to Sweden, mm. which was the, the complete opposite message that the Danish government. Uh, and so, some of them were coming from Germany, right. Oh yeah, most in yeah, all, all of them from the ferry was yeah. uh, traveling through mm-hmm. Germany. Yeah. But you so, know, a lot of them had had already families uh, in Sweden. Yeah, and Norway and Finland, so mm-hmm. they were just passing through. And some of them, you know, they were more afraid of being stuck in Denmark than then they would go back to Germany. Mm-hmm. So that was the safe. And that, we thought that was a normal, natural, uh, logical. I mean. If 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 uh, if uh, the military suddenly comes and bombs your home and shoots uh, people around you, uh, and you have to flee, where do you flee? I mean, you 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 think of uh, getting in touch with your family and and seeking yeah. a safe there. Well, uh, it's it's also more than that. If you grow up in a dictatorship where the military is not your friend and the police are not your friends, um, yeah. yeah, then then I would imagine everywhere you go, your first instinct is to not trust uh, the police or the military, regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, Alicia, on to you. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this story. Um, so I'm a, a human rights activist, and uh, that's something that I've been very passionate about for as long as I can remember, trying to keep up with with what's going on in the world and um, being being Danish, that's something that you you notice, you know, when um, or that even though a lot of a lot of Danes might kind of choose to to turn the other cheek because it's it's a lot easier. This is something that has been there's been sort of a slow crawl towards what's, what's happening today. It it didn't come, you know, from, from one day to another. And, um, sorry. So just to clarify, meaning this attitude of, um, of sort of hostility to refugees. Yes. That's been slowly developing over the years, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Both, both the, the, the general attitude towards, towards refugees, this, this growing nationalism, uh, racism, xenophobia, um, and and also the legislation to make it possible right. to, for example, have these deportation camps and um, and how they're treating refugees in general. This is something that has been in action for for a while. Um, and when um, I was living back in Odense, for example, I uh, was in contact and sort of in like a, a buddy mentorship program with. Uh, 
some Syrian refugees there who were um, applying for university or going through the high school pro- process uh, have, you know, they had children um, and were, were trying to get them, you know, have, have friends, have a normal everyday life, practice Danish, um, you know, figure out where to go out, the, these things. And um, this was a, a program that I was part of where um, I started to get to know uh, different refugees, learn their stories. And I remember sitting on the couch with a good friend of mine and her, the, the tears in her eyes, the, the, the fear in her voice of telling me that every couple of years they have to wait and hope that they get their residencies renewed because if they don't, they have to leave and they have nowhere to go. Um, it was, I mean, this was years ago and it was terrifying. It, it really was. Um, but at that, at that point, there weren't active attempts made to, um, to force Syrians back. So there's always been this sort of air of, of uncertainty and, and a fear that, that Syrians have been put through by the Danish government. Like every time they have to prove their worth almost, you know, prove that they're integrated enough, prove that they want to be Danish enough. But then at the same time, there's very little give back. There's no, um, there's no attempt to make them feel like they'll ever be Danish or they're ever going to be welcome here because of, because of how they're treated. So a couple of points. This doesn't only apply to Syrian refugees, right? It also applies to presumably African refugees and asylum seekers, maybe Afghan. I don't know what the breakdown is. But yeah, yes. I, yeah, but the total population of refugees and asylum seekers in Denmark is maybe around 35,000. Is that correct? Actually, I don't know that, but there's not many. Exactly. I mean, so Denmark's population is about 5.8 million. And according to the statistics that I just checked, it's really, we're only talking about 35,000 uh, refugees and asylum seekers. So we're not talking about a huge population to begin with. And so it's kind of interesting, and and I think, Lisbeth, you mentioned that in World War II, it was a very different situation. Denmark apparently did a heroic job of saving um, Jews or Jewish refugees uh, from uh, the Nazi forces. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And uh, we are well known as uh, one of the countries that did a huge uh, uh, work for for the refugees there, uh, both the Danish uh, Jews and, and Jews, but you know, <clears throat> people are getting very angry when you do that um, kind of uh, uh, it's not comparison. A comparison. Yeah, because you know that's not the case for the Syrian uh, refugees. They say, and so that's what you know, I'm trying to get at, right? So you have uh, Syrian, uh, Afghan, African. Yeah. Yeah. So what is, I mean, uh, Alicia, you mentioned that there's like a rise in xenophobia, a rise in racism. Um, I would imagine it didn't start in 2015, right? Something maybe bigger is going on, or maybe it was always there, but it was under the under the covers. So what do you all think of, of that? Well, um, we had an... Um, uh, 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 yeah, we had a uh, prime minister... Uh, one he he once said uh, to a new party. Uh, uh, he said uh, he, his name is uh, Paul Nyerere, and he said, "You are never going to get 
clean, you know, to being in the same room as the other parties. Uh, and that was a, a party uh, which uh, was very uh, explicit about uh, how they wanted refugees and uh, foreign people out of the country. And, you know, here, 15 years after, maybe, uh, they are one of the biggest parties in Denmark. And there has become two more, um, the, two more parties uh, with that kind of uh, view, point of view on, on people. Extremist. Yeah. What do you think, all of you, uh, maybe Alicia, you can comment as well. What do you think are the driving forces behind this shift in the Danish uh, culture or society? I, I think fear and ignorance are two very big, very big factors that um, Danes have this idea and you can see it in, in how they uh, also treat, you know, like first generation, second generation uh, immigrants and, and like who's Danish, who's not of, of fearing that someone who's different than you is a threat to you. Um, keeping Denmark as this this very closed bubble of very traditional values or very Danish quote unquote uh, things foods customs like you have to be a certain way to be Danish and one of those ways is also white and it it really creates this division I mean it, it it's yeah. sorry to say it that way but it is true it it's it's something that it does create this division that visually, if you do not look Danish, you yeah. are not going to be regarded as Danish. Um, so, but it's kind of interesting because Denmark and Nordic countries always had this reputation of being very liberal and open and, um, and they used to lecture other countries on how they should behave and how they should treat minorities and, uh, you know, all sorts of minorities, not just uh, ethnic minorities. So, um Again, so where all of a sudden is this coming from? Like, uh, maybe you don't, maybe we cannot, obviously it's not a very simple question, but it's kind of interesting how societies evolve that way, right? Yeah, I think I think you should uh, bear in mind that this is not just happening in Denmark. Yeah, uh, It's happening in the United States. It's happening all over Europe. Uh, uh, I think that, People have been the most most surprised that it's happening in the Scandinavian countries because our image has been that of goodness, as you just pointed out. Yeah. Uh, but I think the mechanisms uh, are similar, and, and much of it has to do with globalism. Uh, I mean, in the we had this huge crisis in the seventies with mass uh, unemployment, uh, and and. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, we realize that that it's it, it, it's actually very expensive to run a welfare system uh, like the one we have here, and uh, and people started losing their jobs. Uh, the, the industry started moving jobs out of Denmark. Um, we lost uh, the industrial jobs or the unschooled jobs. They just vanished. So people at the bottom of the society became very uh, vulnerable. And uh, they started fighting about, you know, the, the, the piece of the cake that was theirs. And uh, then you had these, uh, these, these strange people with another religion and uh, other languages, and, 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 and they didn't really contribute. Uh, they just moved here because uh, it's a welfare society and they could actually get some money uh, without doing anything uh, here. And that, that 
created a resentment in the bottom of the society. And that resentment has been building. And then, and this is just what I think, you know, uh, at one some point in, in around 1980, no, 1990, the Soviet Union crumbled. So the big uh, communist threat um, that was uh, uh, keeping things, you know, in check, uh, banished. Yeah. So uh, some politicians uh, saw the opportunity to 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 formulate a new enemy. Uh, okay. When when the Russians, the communists, were gone, uh, they started focusing on on the immigrants, the the the, the Muslims. Uh, uh, and uh, and they were quite successful because it uh, you know the 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 the, the fear especially uh, in the in the bottom of the society was there. Uh, people did not have jobs and they were afraid their welfare checks would be taken from them, and um, so they got a lot of votes. And and since then it's just been a sport, you know. Yeah. Uh, the Muslim bashing. Uh, so yeah, we, right, right now uh, we are in Denmark. The the, the foreign and uh, the refugee minister. Uh, uh, he uh, actually, I think that's a funny history about him and his background. Uh, but he's um, he's prepare, preparing uh, to make uh, uh, refugee camps in Rwanda. Right. Yeah, okay. outside so, Europe. Yeah. So, but, and he is just, first of all, um, he's just, uh, the funny thing is that his father, his father is from Somalia. Somalia, yeah. yeah and he wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, be able to get to Denmark now. Today, right. So, the political, you know. And I want to get to that, but I just wanted to make a small point, which is, I mean, just for the listeners, Denmark is one of the richest countries in the world. So it's it's not like it's a country that's facing uh, collapse and and uh, yeah. So and 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 I did notice that this uh, this minister who's behind this uh, drive to uh, set up uh, camps in Rwanda and perhaps in other parts is himself. Uh, okay, so he he definitely is uh, East African, uh, part East African descent, and as you mentioned very correctly, he wouldn't be able to come into Denmark on these. Uh, and in fact, the funny thing is, he would be in any other society a success story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would also like to make a, a point yeah. that kind of goes with this with this narrative that uh, that Muslims or or immigrants or refugees are you know the they're the bad guys in the scenario. And, and that's, you know, what has been building for, mm. for the past years, but is, is the media as well. And I think mm. uh, the reason also that the world had this very idealistic view of Denmark and uh, Denmark's view on human rights and welfare system is that Denmark has been very good at controlling their image mm. uh, in the media. You know, you have all these feel good stories coming out of Denmark. You have, the, the Danish media in general, that when they're reporting on refugees, they're reporting about immigrants, it's not the good things. It is, it is a struggle, especially in, in you know, human rights advocacy, uh, advocacy for, for migrants, for refugees, is that the media in Denmark is largely silent about anything good. They're, they're silent about the injustices that are being committed against them. And 
it, it really creates a very big division in the country as well, because when all of your information is villainizing and demonizing refugees and immigrants and Muslims, and you don't know any better, you, you go to these, to these media, you know, this media for your sources of information, or that's what your politicians are telling you. That's what you start believing. And that's also what then gets given to the rest of the world. So, okay, this is interesting because I would imagine that you would have different types of media in Denmark, not just sort of extremist right-wing media. I would imagine you would have the opposite side that is trying to present a different narrative, or is that not correct? I mean, there are some media organizations that that do present, uh, you know, a more a more leftist view or a more balanced view. But the the mainstream media, the, the dominant, state, yeah. the dominant media, what what you see on TV is not that. And they so, are hunting the they are hunting the clicks as well. They yeah. have to, you know, survive. Clickbait. Yeah, uh, clickbait. yeah, clickbait. Uh, you know, I, I have a. I, I did this experience uh, when I, I I've uh, done a lot of uh, uh, documentaries for uh, a big TV station called uh, TV2, uh, the the second largest uh, in Denmark, and uh, you know it 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 uh, it's documentaries about uh, foreign uh, no about uh, social uh, problems, and uh, when we were going to choose cases, you know people who are going to join our documentary, uh, they told me, well, uh, we have we have to be careful to, you know, have too much, uh, too many people with, you know, foreign characters, uh, um, not white people, because people are not, uh, uh, you know, the, yeah, yeah, the viewer, uh, the amount of viewers will depend on your color yeah. scheme. Understood. Um, it's funny, as a side note, Japan is also famously uh, very sort of, uh, let's say, anti-refugees and asylum seekers. Um, but Japan doesn't have this reputation of being a paradise or a liberal paradise, right? So this is kind of interesting about Denmark and, and the Nordic countries. Uh, okay, so Alicia, I want to um, I, I want to get to some specific stories of refugees that you are... Um, working with or collaborating with, uh, you choose the right term for it. Maybe tell us, uh, because on, on Twitter, I, you know, I follow some of the things you post on Twitter, um, and maybe tell us uh, um, some of the stories of uh, Syrian refugees that have played by the book, have done everything right, and yet they're being deported. So I want to start getting to specific stories now from, from all of you, but starting with Alicia. Um, so the first thing I want to note is that Denmark can't currently deport any Syrian refugee. They, there's no um, Denmark has no cooperation with uh, the, the Assad regime and therefore is unable to forcefully deport anyone. To therefore, the Assad regime of the dictator of Syria. Just yes. To yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, because of that, Denmark gives uh, the refugees who they've uh, when they've revoked their residencies, uh, said they can no longer live in Denmark. They have mm -hmm. two choices. Mm -hmm. uh, the first choice is that they can voluntarily, within uh, usually 30 days, leave the country and return to Syria, where they are given some money to leave. Um, and the second is that they are then detained or kept in these deportation camps or, or centers. Um, 
for an indefinite amount of time until they then choose to leave. The, the point of these camps is to, quote unquote, motivate right. voluntary, um, voluntary uh, uh, departure. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I have had uh, the, the honestly, it's it's an honor to be able to to speak to many of these families and and these individuals who are impacted by this. And first, I can I can say that you know these aren't my stories to tell. These are these are them sharing with me or sharing with the world um, because there are there are so many. Uh, challenges that they're facing. It's it's not that it's it's not fair that their voices have been are being silenced or being you know cast aside because you have governments, you have people speaking over them, telling yeah. them that w- what their reality is like, and that's something that uh, the the main point of what what I'm doing and trying to share their stories is that they should be at the center of you know, of, of their experiences of what's happening to them. So um, uh, oh, I just want to mention that we actually wanted to have uh, Syrian refugees on the podcast, right? And we were not successful. Um, maybe yes. say a word about that. Um, one of the biggest challenges as well is that uh, most of the Syrian refugees who are impacted by this or who we've had conversations with, um, they speak Danish and Arabic. Um, English is is not a language that uh, many feel comfortable speaking um, or or know because during the time that they've been in Denmark, they've been learning Danish. They have you know they'll speak Danish fluently, um, and and that's where you know that's where their their energy and their time has gone. So um, it it creates a, a language barrier in being able to share their stories with anybody outside of Denmark, because when you only have Danish and Arabic, it's obviously very, very limited. Um, so because of that, uh, it's, it's really difficult to, to have them sharing their stories without a translator or interpreter. Um, okay. But tell us a story of, of a Syrian refugee. Uh, like let's try to humanize this a little bit to the listeners, like a, a specific story that, that, you know, has hit you hard and, you know, especially, right. So, and I know that it's, it's going to be hard for you to choose, but just choose one and tell us that story if you don't mind. Um, there's a, a refugee who I, uh, who I met and I spent some time with, um, a, a young man who, uh, his, his family, his, his mother and his two younger sisters, um, received word that they were, uh, their residencies were revoked. Whereas his um, residency and his brother's residency were were not. Um, this is because women and the elderly are they're the most affected by this. Um, they're they're usually the ones who are being sent back uh, or or having their residencies revoked because young men um, would risk military conscription or being drafted into um, into the army if they were to return or that's what they fled. So they're usually given a different protection status than women, children, and the elderly. Um, so, so in this case, basically it is seen that women, children, and the elderly um, are not as threatened as young men, by or, or are in a safer uh, sort of category than, than young men. 
That's when they return to Syria. Okay. Yes. Um, I also wanted to point out that it is not all of Syria that has been considered safe by the Danish mm. authorities. Mm. They've, um, in their own independent reports, have uh, come to the conclusion that Damascus and surrounding areas are safe, uh, even though uh, 11 out of 12 of their cited experts in this report in of itself have condemned the report, saying it misrepresented wow. data, um, wow. that it was not that it wasn't uh, representing the facts. Um, and it, this is also against the international consensus. So, so Denmark is in essence fabricating reality wow. and, um, and saying that Damascus is safe when it is in fact not safe. Um, so I had, I had the, the opportunity to spend some time with this young man and um, just, you know, almost 18 years old. Uh, and yeah, his, his two younger sisters under the age of like 12 and mm-hmm. his mother, um, had, had lost their residencies and they were supposed to either return or, um, or, or go to these deportation camps, meaning no more work, no more school. Uh, it's just this, this waiting zone of, of, you know, you, you get your rights stripped from you and you have nothing. Um, the, the regime killed uh, his father. Um, you know, he was, he was shot um, before they fled. They don't have family in Syria anymore. They have, they have absolutely nothing. And Denmark is saying, go restart your lives. Uh, you don't need protection anymore, even though they were wanted by the regime. But because they couldn't prove um, personal persecution or individual persecution, that was enough for the Danish government to say, you're no longer, uh, you no longer need protection and you can return. So this young man is fighting for, you know, while he's going to school, while he's, uh, you know, trying to be a teenager is now once again being re-traumatized by the fact that his mother and his younger sisters would go and probably face their death if they go back to Syria to having them being taken from their home, taken from their schools and going to a deportation camp where they would have to live in deplorable conditions. Um, and you know, how, how hard this young man is fighting and it's what is he doing to what, what, what are his means to fight? What can he um, he's been, he's been going on the news. He's been trying to, to really be vocal about this. Um, and, and in some cases, you know, the press coverage has been enough. Uh, there has been enough um, pressure yeah. and outrage that, that the media has covered it. Um, but he's, he's speaking at protests. Mm-hmm. He's open on social media. Um, you know, he's, he's making his voice known. He's putting his face out there. These, these are things that are, are very scary for a lot of refugees as well, because they're not provided with accurate information about the legal process. Um, right. they, they'll get lawyers after they, they get, um, you know, when, when they're appealing these verdicts, like these are, when it's too late. Exactly. Or, or when they feel like it's too late, that's when they're appointed a lawyer. Um, you know, th- this is a very broken system and it's not one that's meant to, right. to make them feel comfortable or secure. So feeling like, you know, you're, if you're speaking out, maybe you're doing something wrong. Maybe Denmark will retaliate and make right. it harder for you and your family. Right. Um, 
And in doing so, this young man was also, I mean, just when I was standing next to him, there were racial slurs being yelled at him um, when, wow. when, when he was speaking uh, on, on the news. You know, um, I, I, we walked by the prime minister uh, when, when we were in Copenhagen and he said, please don't send my family back. Like they're, they're my younger sisters. They're, they're, you know, they're children. And, and she just walked straight by, you know, it was, it's this, it's this serious disconnect of seeing people whose lives are being torn apart, families being torn apart. Yeah. And it's completely cold. Um, and uh, yeah. What kind of racial slurs was he called? Um, I mean, there, these are things that I don't, I would not feel comfortable at all saying, uh, okay. but, but one of the, the words was the Danish equivalent of the N word. Okay. Um, and, and that's something that is, you know, for me is very shocking to hear, but for him, he brushed it off. He's like, I hear it every day. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. But that's, it's something that's just, you know, it's, it's his reality that not only is yeah. he dealing with his, his family, uh, you know, and, and their, their anxiety, but, but then yeah. that as well. So what about the European Union and like the, the European law or international human rights law? What's, uh, does anyone know? Uh... Uh, well, we have an, uh, an, an politician, unfortunately, who's dead now, uh, Jens Peter Bonde, uh, who were uh, really working to, uh, um, trying to get the, EU or the courts, yeah, yeah involved yeah. in our case and in a lot of those cases. But maybe Martin, you remember more about that. What is your case, Lisbeth? Well, uh, you know, when we were fined uh, for the for uh, for <laughs> uh, well, the funny well, we didn't actually took the family uh, through a border. Uh, over right. a border, you know, right. we didn't take them from one country to another. We 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 try, we wrote uh, drew them inside the country. Right. This is the uh, family from six years ago. Just just to mention, yeah. right? Yeah. So and and you know, um, it's not the the Danish law is a bit crazy because you know, I understand if. You are not allowed to travel to to transport people from one country to another without having the papers uh, um, uh, right. But but inside the country and and in many other Danish uh, uh, European countries, there are not that law that we have. Uh, so then you are allowed to to transport people. Uh, so uh, it's a special law. In Denmark and some other few countries, we wouldn't okay. be convicted if, if if it were in Germany, for example. Let me let me clarify. So what you're saying is that in Denmark, even transporting refugees or people without proper papers or visa or whatever, even transforming transporting them inside Denmark is yeah. uh, is illegal. Yeah, you know, considered people smuggling. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, and so you were convicted of a crime? Yes. Yes, we were convicted as people smugglers. Uh, yeah. We were fined. Uh, 
I think it was, what was it, uh, 6,000 euros? Yes. Uh, or 14 days in prison. And, or 14 uh, days what? in prison. Not uh, and 14 no. days. No, no, no. no. Or, or, or. We could choose. Or we could choose. <laughs> we thought about going to jail, but then we found out that we would go to separate jails, so we <laughs> choose to pay the fine. So... Well, so do many Danish people agree with the government? It's... I'm afraid so, because we were shocked. We did not know that we had this law in Denmark. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and so, uh, but, but the politicians, uh, when, when everybody realized this, uh, which nobody knew about, yeah. uh, The Danish politicians, they did not do anything. No. Yeah. Uh, and they have not done anything. So it's still like this. If 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 you if you give a, uh, a refugee a lift in your car or you invite them for coffee, yeah. uh, then you're breaking two laws and you're going to be convicted as a people smuggler. Uh, that's it. So you you cannot you cannot aid. A refugee in any way? Yeah, you, you you can. You can you can go out on the street and give them a mug of coffee while they're on the street. Uh, then you're not breaking the law, but that's all you can do. Yeah, you're not allowed to take them inside. You know, to do to to give them to shelter, So how about the young children? Because the you know the teenagers goes. Is the Alicia told me the. They goes to school means they have a friend there. But no, no, so so I think by then they have proper papers, right? They're registered. Yeah. yeah. But uh, six years ago, when the refugees were just entering Denmark, they helped uh, Lisbeth and, and Michael help them with like uh, you know they sheltered them for a bit and they drove them. So that was a crime. Oh, okay. It was, and, and it was it was it was a shock to the world because our story. Uh, made headlines in 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 uh, media all over the world. Right. Uh, I mean, the Washington Post sent a reporter to to Denmark to to, yeah. to write yeah. about this. And uh, although it got that much attention and everybody everybody was shocked, we we were also because it's we're a Christian country, and one of the central values we have is the story about the Good Samaritan. If well, you meet somebody uh, in need, you stop and help. I mean that's that's the lesson that we. But have you have to check the papers. But first. now we know that. You <laughs> so I, I I have two points. One is that uh, Denmark's Christianity actually originates in the Middle East. Uh, so the irony of uh, right of um, of helping people from the Middle East uh, somehow contradicting a religion that you inherited from the Middle East is uh, is not lost on me. Uh, but uh, Michael just... and. Could you just add, because you asked about the EU. Uh, yeah, so my, my question there was, sorry to interrupt, my question there was that you could have technically fought the conviction on the basis of a higher EU law, right? Okay, so please tell me what happened. Well, we did. We, uh, first, we went to the higher court in Denmark, and we were sentenced just the same as in the lower court. Then we tried to take it to the human court in, 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 in Strasbourg. and Human and, rights court. Human rights court. And it was turned down. Uh, I had the opportunity to go to the to Brussels to the uh, to a hearing in, in, in uh, at the, the EU Commission about this because uh, it was much debated uh, and and the EU has also some uh, 
provisions that, that regulate uh, what you can do uh, in, in uh, concerning the refugees, and they realize that that the, the legislation in the various EU countries is not the same. Uh, and uh, so, so I, I was there, and uh, and they were concerned, uh, but. <laughs> Outside of the panel discussions, I talked to some of the, the, the people from the commission and they said, well, this is, this is of course, uh, very bad and we'd like to uh, change uh, the EU uh, provisions about this, but we do not dare to open this because it could end the opposite. You know, I see. <laughs> the, the reaction might be to have even more restrictive laws. Yeah, exactly. So they did nothing. And then because of that, you can see how it's just escalated from there. Uh, and and now we have, I mean, granted, you have the EU uh, and different, you know, the UN, human rights organizations, basically everybody except the dictatorship in Syria condemning what Denmark is doing. I mean, it's true. Yeah. It's, it, and it's yeah. and it's terrifying that, that this is what's happening um, about the the externalization process where uh, Denmark is considering sending or trying to send uh, their asylum process to a third country, for example, in Africa, you have just a few days ago, uh, the African Union condemning it um, with with the strongest terms possible as racist and xenophobic and irresponsible and, you know, just absolutely giving up on uh, or turning their back on um, yep. the, the responsibility to protect refugees. Um, there was, there was also just. I want to take this opportunity. Sorry, uh, I, I just want to mention to the listeners that over eighty-five percent of refugees worldwide are actually hosted by developing countries, not by Europe. So, actually, a very, very small minority of refugees is is in Europe. And uh, to give you an example, a country like Lebanon, uh, I think something like twenty-five percent or over twenty-five percent of the population is made up of Syrian refugees and other refugees as well. So, um, and uh, you know, you don't have these kinds of uh, measures being taken there. I think Pakistan and even Iran has millions and millions of refugees. And uh, yeah, uh, but we still have this uh, image of Denmark as, as a very liberal and uh, sort of uh, country of laws and et cetera. Okay, sorry, Lisbeth, I just had to yeah. point it out to our listeners uh, because this impression that Europe or the West is taking on the, sh- the burden of refugees is just not correct. Okay, uh, back to you guys. Yeah, and, and you know, a uh, uh, reason uh, and another reason uh, story about Denmark is that uh, we are really slow about helping all the people in Afghanistan who have uh, worked for the Danish army, yeah. uh, where all the other countries are, you know, um, it's my opinion that they are doing something um, to get them out of Afghan to evacuate them uh, but Denmark you know we are just talking about uh, yeah. should we which of the people should we uh, yeah. help and yeah. process about it and you know we're talking about the the Afghan interpreters yeah, yeah. and their family helping, and other helping yeah. the, the Danish military the Danish military yeah in Afghanistan um, so another question so 
obviously there's too many questions but number one since as alicia mentioned things have gotten worse since you tried to have your uh case heard uh, by the eu court uh, you, michael you mentioned that you were in this panel people were afraid that the reaction might be to make things worse well things have gotten worse so why not try again to go to the courts and why not try again to change the law since i mean how Things can't get worse than 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 shipping people back to. Um... No, but they can. I mean, uh, basically, okay. the problem is that there are no political votes in 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 uh, in, in uh, defending the refugees. Yeah, I mean, but there but there's a legal process, right? So there there are legal international standards that that has have to be applied, regardless of whether they're popular or not. Um, but that's so, a good question, and yeah. and actually maybe. We have to ask, uh, for example, the Danish organizations uh, who are working for uh, refugees, why? Because they are, Alicia, uh, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but they are quite silent as well. Hmm. There's not this that much activism uh, left in Denmark about that. Hmm. I, th- I definitely do agree with that. I think that the people who have been speaking the loudest in Denmark have been individual, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's been citizens initiatives, it's been individual activists, it's been other Syrians who mm-hmm. who have been sharing each other's stories or, um, you know, people fighting for each other, but actual concrete help coming from coming from, you know, these big human rights organizations in Denmark or, or refugee organizations, I would also agree that from my perspective, they, they have been lacking. And uh, it's, it's really a shame because you have all of these people who genuinely do want to help. Like um, there's a, a, an initiative on Facebook, for example, of citizens who don't support uh, the government's immigration policies with over 35,000 members. And it's extremely active. You know, people are writing letters every day. They're trying to contact um, their, you know, different representatives. They are sharing stories. They are very active in wanting to do something. But it's like it's hitting walls all the time because it's so where, difficult to get. Yeah. But, but where is uh, the Danish Red Cross? Where is UNICEF? Where is Save the Children? Where is Dansk uh, Flugmingerhjelp? You know, uh, mm. I don't see them. I don't hear them. They don't dare. I mean, when, when at the time in 2015, when all the refugees came to Denmark, Red Cross was not to be seen anywhere. Yeah. And we were publicly asking, why is this? And, and, and some of the uh, volunteers uh, in, in Red Cross of Denmark, they actually went to the main train station and put up some tents to help the refugees that were flooding uh, the tra- train station. And they were asked to pack their things and, and move them again because it's a Red Cross on the tents. And, and, and that was not uh, proper. Asked them. The Danish Red Cross asked them? or. Yeah. Who asked them? Yes. yes. That's because uh, the, the Red Cross in Denmark didn't want to uh, um, cross uh, the, the, the... The line. Yeah. That is uh, insane. That is insane. I'm Sorry. Insane. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, Red, the Danish Red Cross is responsible for uh, at least one of the... or of the well-being of the refugees in one of these deportation camps where uh, a woman, uh, an Afghan woman with with dementia, uh, she was in her 90s, recently died um, 
after complaining of, you know, like, again, the, the conditions are deplorable and the rations that they're getting and, you know, cockroaches and just, uh, and, and neglect, like honest neglect of medical care, of, of psychological care, of child care, things like that. And what, what know, happened when, to this woman? So th- this woman had been complaining of, of, um, of pain for, for a couple of days, had not been seen by any sort of doctor and, and then passed away um, by herself, you know, and again, an elderly woman with dementia, um, who was not getting elderly care. Yes. And, and not, so not only that Denmark was prepared to deport a 90 something year old back to Afghanistan. That's the first, (laughs) the first thing. And then the second is that the red cross was responsible for her, for her safety, for her well being, And they, they failed and there wasn't, you know, a direct investigation. These are, well, there, there's the question for me is why would the Red Cross even do that? What they can just say, sorry, we, we don't want any part in this. That's, well, um, that's something. Sorry, Lisa. Yeah. No, go yeah. for it. Well, when I was uh, the the uh, you know the head of uh, the Children's Council in Denmark, mm. uh, I visited some Red Cross uh, camps, and you know they are really. St- well, how do you say that? Stuck in legislation. Yeah, in legislation. There's so many rules. For example, I, I don't know if it's um, uh, this anymore, but, but until recently, uh, the refugee families were not allowed to do their own food, to make their own food. They had to go to this can- canteen to this uh, and get the same food and uh, rationalized and you know well they didn't start they don't starve but i think <laughs> i hope but you know they all the normal things that uh, families are doing is taking away from them to motivate so this is yeah this is intentional punishment so the question remains why would the red cross the danish red cross agree to partner well, with the government and and operate these camps, they uh, presumably they can say no. Economy, yeah, definitely economy. That's... They are paid for uh, uh, running mm. those camps, so yep. it's a job. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, that's, that's, what that's, that's, there, Alicia? Uh, yeah, no, I I agree that I, obviously this is only speculation on my part. I don't know what what is you know the initial motive or like the. the Okay. The ultimate mo- motivator for them, but but I would I would probably say economy is the same. But you know, it for what they are getting, you know, like um, there there are a lot of people who then share pictures of you know how much they have uh, to spend food for, what the food is, uh, you know, the the fact that most of their clothes come from donations from other people, that they're only allowed to take one thing per you know per time. How everything is so. You know, it's so policed, and and some of these are in in old prisons. You know, so they are. It it is. It does feel like they are in prison, and you know, it's, it's they're stripped of freedom. They are not treated as human beings, and and whether it is the government running it, whether it is the Red Cross, it 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 hasn't ultimately made a difference because that's it's their well being is not a priority. As soon as they're put there, they can stay there for as long as they want. That doesn't really matter to the government, other than the fact that they're having to pay for the extended right. amount of time that they're there. 
Uh, Michael, do you think uh, the 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 higher EU courts would be more willing to listen to such cases now as opposed to five six years ago? No, I, I don't. I don't know because we don't deal with this on an everyday basis. So right. so uh, we just gave up uh, after trying uh, for a year or two. Uh, mm. But no, I mean uh, there's there's been no shift in sentiment. Uh, towards uh, a, a more human uh, approach uh, towards the refugees, uh, not that I've noticed. So, uh, and, and, and the entire sentiment, you know, we, we have this problem that uh, we, we have a party in Denmark that's called the, 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 the Danish People's Party. And it's a... Uh, it's, uh, right wing opportunistic uh, party and they have another one similar one in Sweden and and, and they yeah. have these parties all over and they've gained influence what's happened in Denmark is that the uh, the traditional parties have uh, taken much of their anti-immigrant policies uh, uh, you know made them theirs in order to to limit the the influence of the Danish People's Party, and it's yeah. actually so they're 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 competing for votes on who's worse to the refugees, basically. And you have to yes. remember that the, 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 the immigrant minister of today in Denmark, whose background is from Somalia, uh, he's 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 a minister of the, the Social Democratic government. Mm -hmm. So the Social Democrats <laughs> uh, have taken over the, the, the right-wing extremist uh, yeah. views. Agenda, yeah. Just to clarify, the Social Democrats were presumably the more mainstream party, right? Center-left or center-right? I'm presuming center-right. Supposedly it was center-left. Yeah. Supposedly. Well, it, it's, it's center-left in Denmark. Maybe it's not center-left yeah. in any other country. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I do. I do want to make a, a quick note because there was actually a case that was brought to the the, the UN court, uh, mm. I believe, regarding Denmark and their treatment of uh, Syrian refugees. This was a um, a case that was um, about a Syrian man and the family reunification process uh, because he was he was made to wait, I think, three years between being able to to bring his uh, his wife. Um, I'm not sure if child as well, but but at least his wife to Denmark, um, and the process is is very common. You know, you, you have to either have been there a year, and then you have to have been through the, you know this process. It takes it takes years for this family re reunification process, and um, in um, in doing so, this this case was brought to um, the UN court, where it was ultimately found to have been in violation of uh, the right to family life. Um, you know, and and that was a very big ruling because it was one of the first times that in international court, Denmark is being called out for the fact that they are continuously violating human yeah. rights. Yeah. Um, and and uh, similarly, so there is now a um, there's a London based law firm that is is taking legal action against Denmark uh, for their their treatment of Syrian refu refugees. Um, Guernica 37 um and and that is a a new you know a new process but but people are really so, realizing sort of the brunt of yeah and presumably they're using EU law not Danish law against Denmark 
Yeah. Yes. Well, because Denmark is also signatory. Yeah, Denmark is signatory to uh, you know these these asylum conventions. Denmark has responsibilities to protect refugees, to res- respect human rights, yeah. uh, things that they have not been doing, and whether it's you know trying to externalize these processes they've been neglecting and 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 um right so if if uh, denmark just uh, lost a case uh around family reunification then presumably that same ruling would prevent them from um uh, dividing the family of of the person you were talking about earlier whose two sisters and mother and uh uh, grandmother, I think, would be sent back to Syria, right? Because that's again your family reunification, but also you know, dividing families is also illegal. So it's definitely setting the precedents to be able to continue uh, yeah. to to take legal action to be appealing these verdicts uh, and 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 these rulings at a much higher level. Because if Denmark is continuing to disregard uh, EU and you you know international uh, human rights yeah. laws, then the only action is to get the higher courts involved. Yeah. yeah. And in, in doing so, as you know, so far there has only been pushback from Denmark where they've been doubling down and saying, if this is a risk we have to take, we have to take it for, you know, our agenda. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think that the negative press and the, the, the negative, uh, you know, all these condemnations are at some point going to have an effect because it will start affecting. Um, and it has started to affect the way that, people see Denmark. And um, as, as much as it is a, you know, refugees are not welcome message, it's, it's also, you know, it's going, hopefully, in some ways, going to affect tourism. It's going to affect the way that people see Denmark in the future. And that's something that, that might have an effect rather than just, you know, feeding into this extreme far-right uh, racist sort of, yeah. So on this relatively hopeful note, I suggest we end uh, because it's, uh, well, it's quite upsetting. Um, Michael and Lisbeth, uh, anything you'd like to add? Uh, well, just uh, thank you for bringing this up. Uh, you know, for our sake, it was uh, six years ago, we were fined and convicted and um, and nothing really has happened. and. You know everything is quiet, so thank you for bringing it, bringing it, bringing it up again. Yeah, it's a, a really important uh, fight. Uh, if I'm... if I can just say one last thing. Yes, please do. Uh, just that for for anybody who's listening, um, the and and wants to get involved, uh, really the best thing that that you can do, and the easiest thing that you can do is share this information when you're seeing it. Uh, share share these Syrian stories, speak yeah. out in, in your communities, have these conversations. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot, but every little bit helps. Um, I totally agree. And- Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Global with your host, Tamago and Kangaku Taro. See you next time. Bye-bye.